ladies. I don't know what to do. My baby is two weeks old and I'm not making much milk. How do I know if I have postpartum anxiety? I feel like I am constantly terrified something will happen to my husband when he's at work. And I have been having thoughts that make me wonder if I'm going crazy. Cervidil did not cause this. Your obstetrician did. Your obstetrician followed every single classic routine intervention, none of which should be used without a medical indication. Well, you know, when you tend to a lot of births, you start to see the same patterns show up and you can, you know, it's always the thing you're looking at the other midwife. You'll just have these glances across the room to be like, mm-hmm. you know what we're thinking. You know what we just heard. You know what that means. That's how we know. The most ab- amusing part of this um, publication from the American Pregnancy Association is that it says, just to be safe, go on all the rides after you deliver your baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Happy holidays. There we go. Welcome, everyone, to our December episode. It is the week between Christmas and New Year's. Are you going to sing us a Christmas carol? I don't sing. I mean, I do karaoke, so yeah, I actually do sing. <laughs> no, but not just under not on the just podcast. any circumstance. <laughs> the circumstances have to be very, very special for me to sing. I mean, you know, I, the shower and karaoke in front of any number of people are basically my two extremes for singing. I don't sing in the shower. <laughs> No, I sing in the one I'm cooking and all my kids see me sing and dance a lot, actually. I sing, I sing in, the, in car. the car. I sing in the <laughs> actually, car a lot. I actually sing a lot now that I think about it. Yeah, but well. In the car, it's easy because you're singing along with the radio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, that oh, works did, well. Did you, did, you ever, did you ever record yourself singing when you had like headphones on and then you hear yourself singing all by yourself? <laughs> no, I don't want to put myself through that misery. <laughs> I did that as a teen and I was like, what, what is that? <laughs> I don't sound as good as the person singing the song. All right, Trisha, I've got to read. Um, I, I, I have to read these two last two reviews we got. They're both so special. One of them is really, um, let me read this one. This is, this is really unusual and it's so touching. Look at this one. It's called A Love Letter to Cynthia and Trisha. I will venture a guess that most of your listeners and social media followers are young expectant mothers or new mothers. Well, I'm a 72-year-old now single mother and grandmother who savors each podcast and each post. All three of my children, now 38, 35, and 31, were born at home with midwives in three different states. Each was nursed for over three years. I devoured every issue of the then-in-print mothering magazine and became a La Leche League leader. My son and daughter-in-law live on our land with my now three-year-old grandson, whose birth I was privileged to attend and who is a daily joy in my life. What you offer in your podcast is a gift to the world of prenatal care, birthing, and postpartum. My daughter and son-in-law are hoping to start a family soon, and she is now a listener too. I feel a strong connection to you both like none I have experienced since way back when. The miracle of birth needs more strong, sweet, savvy advocates like you two. I cannot praise your work enough and will continue to spread the word. Did she compare us to Mothering Magazine? Is that what I heard? That's so incredible. A 72-year-old woman. 
Can you believe that? And well, she sounds amazing. I mean, we had, um, I hope she's listening. Well, we know she's listening. Thank you. First of all, we want to know who you are. I think you messaged us on Instagram once. So I want to remember who you are. So reach out again. And yeah, we had Peggy O'Mara of uh, Mothering Magazine. We had her on the podcast in our first quarter around then, like three, four months in. Yeah. That was super cool. That was my favorite magazine when I was pregnant. That's for sure. I mean, to to be compared to that is an incredible honor. (laughs) I still haven't thrown a line out. It's they're really hard to throw out. I savored them from cover to cover. They're special. There's a lot of good information in there. Don't throw them out. Amazing. Absolutely. And then we got this one just a couple days ago. That is so nice as well. It says, thank you so much for collecting the experiences in this podcast. Each episode is an aha moment for me, and I'm so unbelievably grateful I found this before birthing my first baby in a few weeks. We've pivoted from OB care to a midwifery model with a doula and plan for a home birth, and I feel so informed, awake, excited, ready, and passionate about birthing now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I cannot express my gratitude for all the work you do to put this podcast together. I say this genuinely. I love you too. Aww. <laughs> wow. Isn't that precious? I don't want to be the disingenuous person who's like, I love you all back. No, sh- but right. we are so grateful. It's just so, like, I wish I could. That's a lot. That's a lot to people. write that in a review, you know? If you guys are ever in Connecticut, we absolutely promise you a lunch out together. <laughs> it doesn't take anything to get you and Trisha got to lunch, first of all. So. <laughs> all you got to say is, the day you're here, we'll show up. We, got, we have we'll some good there. lunch spots. Lunch Nothing dinner. we like more than doing lunch. Absolutely. We should definitely someday plan a local event for anyone who's even remotely in or visiting the New York metro area. That'd be fun. We could have like a standing open lunch date once That'd a month. Amazing. Meet us. at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. That'd be really fun. I like a that goal. idea. A goal. Add we'll it to it. the list. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to it. So um, thank you both so much. Reach out to us on Instagram so we can personally and more sincerely thank you for these reviews. But um, really, really lovely. Thank you. Uh, Trisha, I think we need to start diving in. We've got a whole lot of questions we've got to get to. Are you ready or do you have anything you want to say? No, let's do it. I'm right. ready. The, f- the first one is for you. Um, it says, I'm desperately seeking breastfeeding advice. Please help. And then, it's, and then it says, hi, ladies. <laughs> so I'm like, it's got a little teaser. Hi, ladies. I don't know what to do. My baby is two weeks old and I'm not making much milk. He loves to breastfeed, but he's getting 90% or more of formula in bottles. I enjoy the bonding with breastfeeding, but I really don't like pumping and I don't want to pump just to increase my supply. I breastfeed him two times during the night and then the night nurse gives him a bottle. During the day, he just gets bottles. I don't want to change my daytime schedule or routine. However, my husband feels very strongly about the baby having breast milk and he really wants me to increase my supply. Is there any way my supply will increase without pumping? Well, so there's a couple of things here. One, um, no, there isn't really a great way to increase supply without the baby breastfeeding more or pumping. Um, but this is an interesting question because it's very rare that I come across situations where the mother doesn't reaches out because she doesn't want to breastfeed and the husband is really pushing the issue. So that's a whole other piece. The whole that's a whole other piece of this that um, we have to take into consideration. So, as far as ways to increase supply without pumping, I mean, if she is bottle feeding during the day and doesn't really want to change that routine, then she's probably not interested in adding more breastfeeding to the daytime routine, which could be helpful in increasing supply. So, 
um, babies can increase your supply if you are willing to start to kind of wean off the formula and give the breast instead. But if you're giving the same amount of formula and still offering the breast, they're not going to demand more from the breast. So it's either pumping or more breastfeeding and starting to kind of wean down off the formula. But this mother sounds pretty committed to the routine she is in and doesn't really want to make that change. It sounds like there could be some challenges with the partner in this. And, you know, that's, that's something that, um, isn't really, (laughs) it's really outside the scope probably of lactation work and more for the work of a, of a family counselor or therapist. But I do understand why the husband is wanting her to, um, you know, give the baby breast milk, right. That's a, it's kind of like what we deal with when in birth, when, the, I was just going to say that. Yep. The one partner wants to have a home birth and the other one doesn't, or, you know, the mom doesn't want to have a home birth, but the husband really wants it. I mean, we always say in the end we go, we always have to side more with the mother. She is the one doing all this work and the husband's opinions about breast milk are valid. Um, his feelings of wanting to give the baby breast milk for the overall health and well-being of the baby are certainly valid, but the mother's feelings about how breastfeeding works for her and, you know, being hooked up to a pump to increase her supply are also really valid. What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't matter that we are very pro breastfeeding. It matters more that her husband is, but it still matters less that she isn't feeling that way. If you, if, if, if he got all the relatives together and she were looking at two dozen people and they all took a vote and said, you should exclusively or more frequently breastfeed your baby, it wouldn't matter. It's her body. There's nothing to be done about that. He just has to relinquish to what works for her. And the worst thing that can happen is to make her feel guilty or pressured about it, really. These things are always hard because the baby is mutually yours. Right. Mm -hmm. But the breastfeeding is only hers. Mm -hmm. And she has the final say. I mean, it, it it just is that way. She's not going to be enjoying the experience if she doesn't want to do it. I mean, it is a, it's a hard process to try to increase your milk supply with pumping or weaning off formula. And if you aren't committed to it and you don't want to do it, it's not going to be good for anybody. She's just finding the balance that works for her. There's just, like I said, there's nothing to be done. She deserves to feel at peace with her decision. Yeah. And I would say just as a final statement, if you, you know, really, if the pumping is the aversion, then forget the pump, just get rid of the pump. But if you are willing to modify the routine a little bit during the day and put the baby to the breast a little bit more during the day, because your baby enjoys that, you might actually find that that's a lot easier and your milk supply does start to increase. All right. Next question. All right. So, um, in hypnobirthing, the Mickey Mongan, is that how you say it? Mongan? She's famous, Trisha. I know, but her name is Marie Mongan. She Mongan. went by Mickey. Oh, Mickey. <laughs> and she, I think she tried to make it catchy, hypnobirthing the Mongan method. But Mongan. I mean, I, I, like most people, I just say hypnobirthing. So yes. And she does have it trademarked. So hypnobirthing does mean the Marie Mongan method. Oh, really? So that's, so some people write to me like, I know you teach hypnobirthing the Mongan method. <laughs> yeah. I, AKA I, hypnobirthing. I, I actually had never even heard of hypnobirthing when I became a midwife. Isn't that interesting? Well, you became a midwife eons ago. That's true. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You're still young. It's been a while. All right. Anyway, um, in hypnobirthing, the Mongan method, which you teach, Cynthia, they say to resist the urge to push. But I saw a recent post by you, Amazing Women, 
that says that you will know when to push because you will no longer be able to not push. So what are your thoughts on pushing? Yeah, I've got thoughts on pushing. So (laughs) you know, when you get certified or trained in hypnobirthing, there is a very strong message that says you will not push, you will not push, you will breathe the baby out. Like you're not supposed to push ever. You're not going to push. And Mickey Mongan goes so far as to say that this is bold. So just brace yourself. She goes so far as to say, I think women have been conditioned to believe they need to push. And I'm just like, what? So I took hypnobirthing when I was pregnant with my son in 2004. And just being the student that I am, I dutifully learned everything. And I told myself, I'm just going to breathe the baby out. I had a very calm um, stage of thinning and opening, which we call it in hypnobirthing, dilating, very calm. And then all of a sudden, after transition, I was like working so hard and I was very vocal and I was making fists. And I thought, what's going on? Why am I making fists? Why are my arms tense? Because in hypnobirthing, my instructor, who I adored, didn't know and didn't teach me that you get this awesome surge of adrenaline when you are pushing. So I was pushing and I was doing everything absolutely efficiently and wonderfully and perfectly and feeling in the back of my crazy mind, what am I doing wrong? And I was doing everything exactly right because I was following the lead of my body. I was vocal. I was working, I was pushing. There was no way not to push. I birthed my son. Fast forward two years when I met Mickey Mongan and my son's birth story had been published in Mothering Magazine, Mm -hmm. among others. She said, ah, Cynthia, you're the poster child for hypnobirthing and it's big babies, fast births. And I guiltily confessed. And that was how I felt. I I guiltily confessed. I actually am not the poster child. I was really loud birthing my baby. I was making fists like this the day after I gave birth. My biceps were the most sore part of my body because for 45 minutes of pushing, I was making these tense arms. And she said to me, you did it perfectly. You followed the lead of your body. When I learned this method to teach it, I am going to teach this saying you will almost definitely, not definitely, my guess and my theory is like 99% of women get that urge, maybe 98%. And for one or 2%, yes, the babies slip out. It's happened to a few dozen of my clients. It too happens. But I say, if you get the urge, the emphasis is on the word breathe the baby out. Don't hold your breath as you're bearing down. So I hope that gives you permission because I didn't give myself permission really. I was I was conflicted. You have permission to birth your baby however you want. There's no way to do this wrong, but if we have to grasp for a wrong way to give birth in that stage, it would be to say just don't hold your breath. Whatever you do, keep breathing. That's it. That's it. I can understand incorporating birth breathing into your urge to push, but sometimes that it's like, for me, it's It's literally like, it's like the urge to vomit. It's like the urge to sneeze when it's happening. It's happening. There's no stopping it. It's irrefutable. When clients, when clients have asked me, what if I give birth in the car or what if you feel like you're pushing in the car? I'm like, well, you know what? I, that almost happened to me. And I thought, well, I guess we'll just get a new car because you can't stop there's it. no stopping it. You, you cannot stop it. it. So we stand by you are saying you will know when to push because you will no longer be able to not push. Hey there, all you amazing, strong and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms to be. 
I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com. And cherry on top, you guys can use code down to birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E.com, and use promo code down to birth. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. These are tools that are available to you and that's all it is. It's an art. It's not a science. So we don't want your doctor turning it into a science. You have to give birth this quickly, this many hours. This is what we want to see, nor do you want a phenomenal life-changing, you know, a humanity altering woman of like Mickey Mongan and so many others in this field telling women how to birth either. These are just tools that are available to you. That's exactly right. I think the one thing we can all agree on is that directed pushing should be discarded. Right. And what I say is, I think what, what I like to believe Mickey Mongan meant to say was, we don't want any indiscriminate pushing. We don't want you pushing for the sake of pushing or because someone is screaming at you to push. 
That's what I feel she is trying to say while she's emphasizing the need to breathe rather than hold your breath, which some nurses might tell you to do, and we don't want to do that. Perfect. Next one is, hey guys, I'm nine months postpartum. I've just found you, and I wish I knew this existed before. I listened to the podcast and was hoping you can talk about the medication Cervidil used to ripen the cervix. I received it because the doctor told me I needed to, but she wouldn't tell me about it. And really, my birth was very complicated with that, Pitocin, a 48-hour labor. Then they broke my water on purpose. They got two bags of antibiotics. Wonder if she was group B strep positive or what that what that was about. Then they cut to a three slash four degree tear. Could any of this have been related to the induction and cervidil? The cervidil was literally the most painful part of the whole thing. And the doctor pushed that statement aside and it was off the charts on the fetal monitor. Any thoughts or info would truly help. Boy, do we have thoughts around this. I don't think it's going to be exactly the answer she's looking for. That does not sound like it's all pointing at Cervidil, but well, let's it talk started about with Cervidil. Cervidil. <laughs> it started with Cervidil, but let's talk about a few yeah. things about Cervidil. Yeah, sure. Let's just define it. Cervidil is a prostaglandin. It's used to ripen the cervix when the cervix is not ready for induction. So when we start a Pitocin induction, we need the cervix to be at a certain level of ripeness or readiness. Um, to be receptive to, to Pitocin inductions tend to go better if the cervix is more ready for the induction, right? So we don't want a long, closed, thick exactly. cervix. Because so, in, in nature, before you would have uterine contractions, your cervix would thin and soften and ripen. And that's the role of Cervidil. It's mirroring yes. what nature would do before you have your first contraction anyway. Exactly. So it's a synthetic prostaglandin, the same thing that actually gets your cervix ripe and ready in natural labor, the same thing that's in semen, which is the reason that we always tell women to have intercourse um, if their bag of water is intact. You know, when they're trying to bring on labor, the same reason that evening primrose oil works well to soften and ripen and ready the cervix. This is just the pharmaceutical grade um, version of your natural prostaglandin. And it, of course, comes with significant risk. Yeah. And Cervidil is FDA approved for this for this job. Uh, unlike Pitocin, if you heard our Pitocin episode, what was it? Number 134 in early November. Um, Pitocin hasn't been FDA approved for the elective induction of labor, but Cervidil is FDA approved. Um, and it should not be used in cases of, uh, there are contraindications. One of the most important ones is any uterine scar. So if you've had fibroid surgery, and certainly if you've had a C-section, rule number one of having a successful VBAC is not to be induced. That doesn't just mean Pitocin, that includes Cervidil. Um, it can cause hyperstimulation of the uterus. And here's what's interesting, and I learned something new here. It should be removed at least 30 minutes prior to the introduction of Pitocin. Did you know that? I don't think they're doing that. Um, I think that that probably is happening or it's or completely dissolved and absorbed. Um, as far as the very significant side effects, it can make your contractions be too strong and too close together. And this actually happens in one in 20 women. That's a lot. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Um, and it cause, can cause distress in the baby, but it is still very commonly used and it still is part of an induction process if, you, um, if your cervix isn't ready. And if your cervix isn't ready, you are probably not ready to have a baby. Yeah. So back to this woman's question, 
What she experienced wasn't necessarily the effects of Cervidil. It was the classic cascade of interventions and highly aggressive obstetricians. Highly. Well, I I think it's the same old story. It's the being induced before your baby and your body are ready, followed by the cascade of interventions. And she probably ended up with a third or fourth degree laceration. It sounds like from an episiotomy because there was fetal distress at the end from all this time of having hyperstimulated uterus from starting the cerebral, then to Pitocin, then likely she had an epidural, likely she was fixed in bed and couldn't move very well or wasn't moving. And this is just how it happens. And this is why the first intervention leads to the very common outcome of cesarean birth and fetal distress. And then it gets written off as, well, we saved your baby, like all is well, the baby. Thank God we were here. Right. Thank God we were here to save your baby. She ended up with a vaginal birth, but I think the, I think she's feeling unsettled because she's feeling frustrated and thinking, oh gosh, did Cervidil cause all, cause all this. But unfortunately, I think what we can surmise from her story is Cervidil did not cause this. Your obstetrician did. Your obstetrician followed every single classic routine intervention that none of which should be used without medical indication. Pitocin, rupture of membranes, cutting an episiotomy. I, I she, would say they put that her through so much. I would say Cervidil is part of that though. I would say Cervidil is part of causing all of this because it's how it started. It's how it started, but without the Cervidil Right. You're right. It's the it was start the first of an induction. Step, but it wasn't a side effect of Cervidil that she needed Pitocin or nope. then she needed an right. amniotomy. It's not a side effect. That's right. It was all under that umbrella of cascade of interventions. It just so happened that Cervidil was the first of the interventions. That's that's it. And I think it's worth mentioning too that there are life-threatening rare, very, very, very rare, thank God, but there are life-threatening um, side effects of Cervidil, one of which is an amniotic fluid embolism. Oh, I didn't know that, Tricia. Wow. Always ask. They are supposed to provide you with informed consent. But always ask, what is the drug? Ask how to spell it. Write it down. Take your time. Go research it. And then ask what the medical indication is. Yeah. You know, it's so commonly used, just like Pitocin. It's the same thing where it's just, this is what we do. This is how we get babies ready to be born. Finding the perfect pregnancy and breastfeeding bra is no easy task. Your search is now over. Meet Davin and Adley, a mother-owned pumping, nursing, and maternity bra company with a unique, comfortable, and stylish cropped cami. This item is perfect to wear all day long from day one of your pregnancy right through the end of your breastfeeding journey and probably beyond. The Amelia cami makes pumping and breastfeeding easy while looking and feeling good on your body. It works seamlessly for both wearable pumps and flange pumps, and you can breastfeed in it. It also has a beautiful stretch lace back. You can sleep in it, dress up in it, go out in it, whatever you want to do in it. And trust us, the quality in this item and all of their items are top notch. They're soft, durable, and attractive. These bras will truly go the distance. Davin and Adley carry a gorgeous selection of maternity and nursing wear, and they have an innovative one-piece breast pad that we've never seen anywhere else. So no more losing those solo breast pads, ladies. Go ahead and check out the full collection of maternity and nursing items at davinandadley.com and use your promo code down to birth to save 15%. All right, breastfeeding moms. Do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey? 
If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code down to birth to save 15%. Let's move on to this question, Trisha. I'm curious to hear what you say to it. It's about a cervical lip. And I didn't know a lot about this, and I'm interested in hearing your response. It says, hi, ladies. I have a question if you don't mind my asking. I went in for a Foley bulb induction on Tuesday for abnormal labs indicating preeclampsia and went to five and a half to six centimeters within two hours. Did a few hours of Pitocin and didn't change anything and thankfully was sent home when my labs came back normal. My blood pressure just stopped right there. Indicating preeclampsia. She went in and started an induction because she had the possibility of preeclampsia. And then two hours later, normal labs. Can you believe that? That is what this gets thrown around so much. You have what you have, what appears to be preeclampsia. You either have preeclampsia or you don't. Now it's not that you can't watch and wait. It, it is a progressive illness. So you can have signs of it and it can progress to preeclampsia, but you don't have it. If two hours later you have normal labs. That's right. Anyway, sorry, keep going. My blood pressure stayed normal the entire induction and baby stayed healthy also. Anyway, I learned during the process that baby is negative one station, but my cervix is behind the baby's head. I have no idea what that means. I can't wait till you explain that. (laughs) Behind the baby's head. My question is, is this something that will work itself out once baby activates labor? I'm confident it will. I just thought y'all would have, I cannot believe the number of y'alls we get. It's, we, we must be in a bubble in the Northeast, right? Yeah. It's not commonly used up here, but maybe it's, everywhere else it's it is. never used. I love it. Or maybe it's, it's an, an autocorrect. My face. <laughs> no, I don't think it's an autocorrect. I'm confident it will. I just thought y'all would have better insight. I'm 38 weeks today. Oh my gosh, Trisha, these women are asking us for fast turnarounds. Oh gosh, she's She's had her baby already. Oh God, I hope not. (laughs) I'm 38 weeks today and both of my prior babies arrived at 40 weeks. So it's not this one's time yet. Go ahead. Well, I'm glad she left that induction. So first of all, a fully bulb is a mechanical way of inducing. So this is interesting that it comes right after the cervidil um, because the cervidil is the prostaglandin that helps ripen and prepare the cervix for birth. And a fully bulb is an alternative to that so long as your cervix is actually open enough to get the Foley bulb in there. So they put a little um, device into the cervix and then it's literally a little balloon and they put air into the balloon and it blows up inside your cervix and mechanically dilates your cervix. So that again, this is helping you to get ready for a Pitocin, most likely a Pitocin induction. Maybe not, you don't always have to have that, but I do, it is, would be my first choice if I were going to have my cervix uh, manipulated in labor (laughs) in some other alternative world universe. Yeah. But I would way take that over anything else. So second thing is her cervix is behind the baby's head, which is exactly where it belongs. That's why I was so confused. (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's in front of the baby's head. 
in labor. Well, wait a minute. In the front of the baby's head. Wait, let's make sure we have this straight. Through all of pregnancy, the baby's head is behind the cervix. The cervix is in front of the baby's head. So we think of the cervix as being directly over the birth canal, right? Because that's how it is in labor. The cervix is right over your birth canal. And as it opens, your baby comes down and through. In pregnancy, your cervix very smartly and secretly moves back a little bit toward your spine. And that no way. Yes, it's called a posterior cervix. So throughout pregnancy, your cervix should be a little bit posterior. It keeps it safer. Hmm. As you get ready to give birth, it moves anteriorly. And that's one of the very, very early signs of knowing that it's getting to be about time to have your baby. So the fact that her cervix was still posterior behind her baby's head indicates that she was not ready to have her baby. What did she mean? It was behind the baby's head. It just means that it's posterior. That's all she meant? Yes. Oh, I thought she meant the head had like slipped through and the cervix was behind the head, like toward the neck. And I No, thought, this is just probably how her provider explained it to her. Well, your posterior okay. is a little bit behind your baby's head. Your cervix <laughs> is a little bit behind your baby's head. It just means it's a posterior cervix. Okay. So yes. Is that something that will work itself out once baby activates labor? Absolutely. The cervix has to move forward and get directly over the birth canal so it can dilate and the baby can come through. No big deal. No big deal. It's what it's supposed to do. Those darn providers. <laughs> the problem here is that they're trying to give her a fully bulb when her cervix is behind the baby's head. I don't even know how they would do that. I don't either. They have to access. Well, they the didn't cervix. do it. They sent her home. They didn't. Wait, end up they doing tried, it. Tricia. They tried. Well, they wouldn't have been able they to reach her cervix. They just have quote, wonky labs that they could point to. Right. I, I'm making jokes about the term wonky labs because of the episode released on December 8th with Hermine Hayes-Klein, an incredible attorney and a remarkable episode where she said there's just, there is so much rhetoric and sometimes they'll do these things to women and they'll be like, oh, well, your labs are wonky. You know what? That's not speaking the language I need you to speak. I'm looking for medical indications here. So you can't just come to a woman and say, well, you've got wonky labs. We're going to have to induce you. You say, wait a minute, slow down. Show me what you're talking about. Right. I'm just looking back at the question. It does look like she did actually, she did say she got Pitocin and she was sent home with her labs, but her blood pressure stayed normal through the induction and her baby stayed healthy. And so she did actually get induced. They gave her a few hours of Pitocin. I can't believe that. It's really odd that they gave her a few few hours of Pitocin and then sent her home. That doesn't they were like, happen. you know, we knew this was a mistake from the start, but this is a bigger mistake than we thought. So just go home before we really make a huge mistake here. That's all I can think. I don't know. And I'm an optimist. So. <laughs> that doesn't usually happen, I don't That's think. That's what the optimist thinks. But of course, with the new guidelines, if you're not six centimeters, you're not in active labor, they send you home. So that's great. But I don't know why they first gave her Pitocin. How do, you, how do I know if I have postpartum anxiety? I feel like I am constantly terrified something will happen to my husband when he's at work. And I have been having thoughts that make me wonder if I'm going crazy or how would I know if I'm actually going crazy? So there's so many thoughts. I'll give some signs as to whether you know you're having postpartum anxiety. First of all, it's four times more common than postpartum depression. It's really common. And I personally believe that just about every single one of us ends up somewhere on that scale. Maybe it's very, very mild. Maybe it's very severe, but anxiety after you have a baby is a very common emotion that you don't see coming. I think it's built in. We're meant to have that heightened sense of awareness and prolactin, the hormone that makes milk, does create that heightened sense of awareness. So everybody does have a little bit more anxiety after having a baby. You're meant to. It's just how far it goes. 
It's how far it goes. Stress thoughts a lot, stress dreams, worried about the baby all the time. So these are some common symptoms. Racing thoughts, feeling that something bad is going to happen. That's a big one. Disturbance in your appetite. You might not notice till 2 p.m. that you haven't eaten all day. Really important to get your partner involved to make sure that they get breakfast ready for you before they head out if they head out to work. Water out in a big pitcher on the table. They've got to check in and make sure you do eat, even if they have to call you at 10 o'clock every morning to make sure you've eaten. Inability to sit still, inability to sleep when the baby is sleeping. Um, Physical symptoms can manifest in some cases. If it gets quite severe, it can manifest into postpartum OCD, which happens. It can also manifest into postpartum panic disorder, a fear of knives. I have a mom in my current and my past postpartum group. We have an episode with her, with Lisa from many months ago. Severe fear of knives, nail clippers, scissors, um, fear of staircases, fear of driving. One mom confessed in the group, mom of three. She said, I'm, I'm saying it for the first time. I have three children. My eldest is six. I'm always afraid when I'm driving. Um, so, and a fear of mortality is also really normal. Sometimes we bring it up and we say, whose mortality do you fear the most, your partner's or yours? Because a fear of mortality is so common. Um, the closest to quote going crazy would be if you're having hallucinations. And if you're having hallucinations, that is an absolute full-on crisis and you should never be left alone by yourself or with the baby. That would be considered postpartum psychosis. Postpartum psychosis. Thank you. Yes. That's if you're having hallucinations, it affects about one woman per 1,000 to 2,000 women. But for all the rest, it's an incredible problem. For example, I have a mom in my current group who in springtime, it took her about three weeks. I think we brought it up. I think we said, you know, how come you're always in a dark room? What's going on? Because we're very close in that group and we can really talk. And it was like, how come you're in a dark room? You're always in that dark room. And she confessed. I have basically not left my upstairs bedroom since the baby was born. I said, what? She was afraid of stairs. I said, what are you eating? And she she picked up a big Costco-sized box of um, granola bars. She said, I'm living on granola bars. Her husband hadn't noticed. She's been living in a cave. Classic anxiety. And in her case, it was primarily around stairs. You can't um, rationally help the women who have that fear. You can say, wear the baby in a sling. Some of them sit on the stairs and bring themselves down in a seated position. But it's not that it's rational. I mean, we used to be in the top of a high rise with a balcony and I used to not, I used to insist we not open the balcony door greater than the width of the baby's head as if the baby could get out and on the balcony. (laughs) And even if the baby were on the balcony, nothing could have happened. It's not rational. The common denominator in any perinatal mood and anxiety disorder is isolation. So the best thing you can do is um, involve your partner and everyone and anyone who supports you. Come out with it. Talk openly about it. You have to keep talking about it and you have to get the support that you need. You, uh, It's a must. There is nothing more important in that household than your physical and emotional wellness. Nothing. A private clinician would be valuable. A support group would be important. Um, It will pass. This is never anything you've done. It's never your fault. It is out of your control and it will 100% pass. It is definitely temporary. Yeah. So her question, how do I know if I have postpartum anxiety? It's worth pursuing all the things that you just discussed. Yep. This is for you, Tricia. It says I'm pregnant with my first baby and I had the anatomy scan. Everything was fine, except I have quote, 
many large placental lakes, making my placenta appear large. One, can you explain your perspective and knowledge on placental lakes? Two, will the large placenta cause a big baby, even though lakes, from what I've read, can cause smaller babies? That's it. Okay. Um, well, honestly, I don't have a tremendous amount of perspective and knowledge on placental lakes. What I do know is that they are in large spaces that are seen on the ultrasound where the placenta has spots that have been filled with maternal blood. They are normal for the most part. They can, when detected really early in pregnancy, be associated with certain um, anomalies of pregnancy. But she said that she discovered these at the anatomy scan, which is between 18 and 20 weeks. So we're not talking about early pregnancy. With her question about will the large placenta cause a big baby? No, no. It would be more associated with intrauterine growth restriction if these placental lakes were problematic, but most of the time they are not. That makes sense because it's not that it's a larger placenta. It's like there are portions of the placenta that aren't really placenta. Right. Making it appear larger. And a larger placenta doesn't cause a larger baby, a large placenta and a large baby go together. It's not yeah. like one causes the other. I remember when um, Vanessa was born at nine, seven, I remember Amy looking at my placenta and going, wow, like big placenta, big baby, big placenta. They go together. I guess that worked, yeah. but I can't let this question go without emphasizing that a big baby, um, there's no correlation whatsoever between a big baby and a more difficult birth or a longer birth or a shoulder dystocia or um, a cesarean section. It's all about fetal positioning. Fetal Despite what every single medical practitioner will want you to believe. Um, we always have to kind of go back to this whole thing that, you know, the concern about big babies is the truly macrosomic baby as a result of uncontrolled gestational diabetes. That can be a problem, but not all big babies are that. And that's how they get lumped in. We're all right. The next one says, look at this. Can y'all <laughs> here it is again. Now they're just messing with us. <laughs> You're doing it. They're, but they're New Yorkers. I'm not doing You're changing it. the text. I certainly am not. Why apostrophe A-L-L? You think I know how to spell that? <laughs> can y'all talk? Can Northerner. <laughs> can y'all talk about the purple line method of, can y'all talk about the purple line method of checking dilation? Oh, I'm so glad someone is asking you this because I've always wondered about it myself. Is it a reliable alternative to cervical checks? Does it indicate fetal head position? No. Does it? Does it? I think probably correlates with fetal head position, That's but it's amazing. more about right. cervical dilation. So first, wait, let's just slow this down. What is it? And does it show up on everyone? Let's start with that. The, I don't think like, like all things in birth, it doesn't apply a hundred percent to anyone. Um, I think there was a study once done on this that showed that it was present in about 75% of women but more likely to be present in women who are having a physiologic birth, which makes sense. I mean, the easiest way to describe it is a line that appears along the bait from the base of your tailbone up toward the top of your butt crack. That's where it ends. I have definitely not seen it on every laboring woman. I always do look because I'm very curious about it. If I, if it makes sense to look, so if they're in a hands and knees position, if it's visible, I'm not like, I wouldn't, you're not like, asking them can I check position? your, right now, if they want to know how dilated they are and they don't want a cervical exam, I might say we can, maybe the purple line is present. That might give us some indication. So, so wait, how accurate is that? It's pretty accurate. 
That's nuts. Yeah. So is it a reliable alternative to cervical checks? Well, first of all, cervical checks are not necessary. You never need to have one if you don't want to. So you don't have to have a way of knowing how dilated the cervix is. But if you wanted a first line alternative, you know, if you felt that it was important to know somewhat where you are, you could look at this um, and get a fairly close idea of where you are, but no, nobody's really taking out like a tape measure and measuring it. You can, you can watch the progression of it. That's an interesting way to gauge it. So at the start of labor, you might see that it's barely there. And as a woman is progressing, you can know that it's a sign of progression, but I would never probably say, I would never say, oh, well, you're probably eight centimeters dilated if I measured the purple line, but it is a good, indi- it is a decent indicator. It is information just like a woman having you know, vomiting in transition or their urge to push when we know she's close to the full dilation. They're just all little signs that the body makes that help us know that things are progressing. And you know what? A cervical exam isn't always accurate either. I mean, you can have one provider measure a woman's cervix and say she's six centimeters and another one will say she's eight. Does any of it really matter that much to have accuracy? Like, does it matter that much? What we want to look for is progress, progression, culminating in the urge to push your baby down and up. To me, it's just very much along the same lines as watching a woman's behavior change in Mm -hmm. labor, watching her mood change, watching her sensations change, watching her instincts of how she moves change. It's, It's that kind of piece of information. I love that. I mean, it's just really wonderful to hear you say that to just get that skill for being with a woman in labor and paying such close attention to her that you're noticing whether her eye contact has changed, her breathing has changed, whether she's speaking in continuous sentences has changed. It's so nice to imagine a woman being cared for in an attentive way that's um, undisturbing. Well, you know, when you tend a lot of births, you start to see the same patterns show up and you can, you know, it's always the thing you're looking at the other midwife you'll just have these glances across the room to be like, mm-hmm. you know what we're thinking, you know what we just heard, you know what that means. It's how we know. It, re- it reminds me of just when you love someone in general, you can walk into a room and say, what's the matter? Right. Exactly. And it's just, yeah. you know, that's just, to me, that just, that's love because you're looking closely. Yeah. I like that. Um, the last question says, this was so much fun. I, I, I almost didn't believe it when I read it. I love all the education I've been getting from your ladies podcast. She put the apostrophe in the right place. I'm, I really like that. She put it after the S. I love that. Wait, hold on. Are you sure that's correct? Of course it is. Ladies is plural. Yeah, but podcast is singular. What? Oh, but shouldn't. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If it- I'm sure you're all thrilled listening to this conversation <laughs> about grammar. Um, I, lo- I love all the education I've been getting from your ladies podcast. My husband and I would will want to start trying for a baby starting in May 2022, but have plans to visit Disney. Would it be wiser to wait until after Disney? This is our first Disney question for sure. <laughs> I wasn't sure how much park rides affect. Oh, she misspelled effect. There you <laughs> she go. got the apostrophe <laughs> right. She put the wrong effect. <laughs> she put an E instead of an A. I wasn't sure how, no worries, no worries. We, we still respect you completely. I wasn't sure how much park rides affect and early pregnancy. Now I looked this up through the American Pregnancy Association because I don't know the first thing about whether park rides affect early pregnancy. It's not in general counseling for prenatal care, that's for sure. 
No. The concern is any, I mean, it does seem like common sense once you read about it. The concern is any rapid starts, sudden stops, jarring forces, um, pressure against the body. It is kind of funny when you think about how we humans do this all for pleasure because, because we do. Um, rigorous activity can potentially disrupt the placenta. There can be a risk there. It's very unlikely. This is the part that I found the most entertaining, the most amusing, the most amusing, let's say, because I'll do a, a play on the word since we're talking about amusement parks to begin with. The most ab- amusing part of this um, publication from the American Pregnancy Association is that it says, just to be safe, go on all the rides after you deliver your baby. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Once you have a baby. Oh my gosh. Okay. So for her question, I would say go to Disney. Do not delay your trip to Disney. Maybe you just go on the toddler roller coasters <laughs> instead. I'm um, sorry. No okay. one wants to go there to sit in a little teacup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. A lot of adults don't like to go on the insane, crazy Gravitron rides or anything like that. <sighs> Perhaps. Do they? But I think this comes from the fact that in in the event of an automobile accident, sometimes women have been known to have a miscarriage or a placental abruption. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I rode horses and went skiing in pregnancy, and I'm sure I would have gone on a roller coaster in early pregnancy. And I've had many clients who have fallen, slipped on ice, fallen yeah. downstairs. It's terrifying every time. They spend a whole day in the hospital every time checking on whether everything is okay and knock on wood, everything has been okay. Of course, the the risk exists, but um, nature has a way of making sure everything that needs to adhere internally is is going to if, uh, if it's not too extreme. So, you know, don't jump out of a plane. Don't do anything too crazy, but go to Disney World and have a good time. You're about to have a baby and you won't be going again for a while. for a really long time. (laughs) Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. It can't be in. Yeah, it is in the butt crack. You want to see a picture? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? You? You're blushing. It's no, you. no. I'm, oh, not, I'm just laughing. <laughs> I'm definitely not. Yeah, no, I definitely don't have no, a picture of me. You don't have those pictures. No.